Well, good morning, Journey. Um, it really is my pleasure and honor to be with you this morning while Pastor Ken and Julie and their family are enjoying a well-earned vacation. Before I get started on what I'm going to speak on this morning, I just want to say thank you to you. You guys brought clothing, you brought shoes, you brought hangers um, for our Career Connection Center, and we are going to open in August, and we have a room full of clothing for kids aging out of foster care and a lot of the reason that we have that is because of your generosity to bring them in so I just want to say thank you for that give yourselves a hand for that it's going to be awesome to watch these kids go in to job interviews and into like a first day of work and feel really confident because of clothing that they otherwise wouldn't have had so this morning I'm going to talk to you about Something that's going to feel a little too good to be true, but it is truth. Have you ever had that feeling, though, that too good to be true feeling? Whether it's when you first laid eyes on your spouse, that, that person you're going to spend the rest of your life with, I mean, that was too good to be true, that they would look back my way. Maybe, maybe it was when you held your kid for the first time, held that baby. Maybe it was when you made it onto that sports team that you were trying so hard to get onto. Whatever it is, we've all had those moments that, that when we're in them, we feel like, man, this is just too good to be true. And I don't know if you're like me, but for me, when I'm experiencing something that's too good to be true, there's this little voice and this little feeling in the back of my head that says, the bottom's going to fall out. So enjoy this while you can, because it's not going to last. Like right on the hills of something that I should feel great in and just rest in and just be in is also this nagging feeling that something is about to go wrong. Like that mountaintop experience can't really be fully enjoyed because you're looking down at the valley. And, and I don't know about you, but for me, it's for that reason, it's really hard for me to stay in the too good to be true. And this morning I'm going to talk to you about one of my favorite characters in the Bible, Peter. I love Peter in the Bible. Peter had some of the highest highs and the lowest lows in the Bible. Like he, he had these mountaintop experience, experiences with Jesus. And then he had these moments where it was just utter failure. And what I love about Peter is I see myself. But also, if you look at the Bible, like all the characters in the Bible had similar experiences. They had these moments where everything was going great. And then all of a sudden, it's terrible. If you look at David, he's one minute dancing through the streets, worshiping the Lord in victory. And the next minute, you know, he's hiding in caves or wondering why everybody around him wants to kill him. You look at Jacob. And Moses, mountaintop highs and severe lows. But what I want to talk about this morning is that Peter discovered something in the midst of it all. He discovered a truth that, that really is and can feel too good to be true. He discovered an unchanging father who loves him whether he's on the mountaintop or whether he's in the valley. He discovered an unchanging grace and love that even if he's 
walking on water and sinking? Or one minute, Jesus is declaring that this is the rock on which I'm going to build my church, and then the very, like, just a few scriptures later, he's saying, get thee behind me, Satan. High highs and low lows. But God's love for him never changes. And that truth is just simple, regardless of our victories or mistakes. So this morning, I'm going to talk to you about four too-good-to-be-true truths. And here's the first one. God doesn't love you anymore at the height of your greatest victory than he does at the depths of your most sinking defeat. His love for you doesn't change. We feel like his love for us changes. Because when we're clicking along on all cylinders and we've gotten up for the last month and read our Bible every morning and spent our time in prayer and we're doing our family devotions and we just had our kids at VBS and we just sent our teens away to youth camp and, we, and all of these things are going great. We feel God's love for us and his pleasure in us. But then let a month go by and you haven't really quite done your devotionals. You're, you've been really stressed so you and your spouse have been kind of nitpicking at each other for for a while and your kids aren't necessarily doing great the job's not doing great you just you're sick you're in the valley and you don't feel God's love for you because we place a lot of our feeling of God's love for us on what we're doing and it's critical that we understand this truth, that, that no matter where we are, no matter if we're clicking along on all cylinders or we've just had a string of utter failures, that God loves us the same. It's important that we understand that because God calls us to show love to others. And we really can't truly show love to another person until we feel it ourselves. How many of you have, ooh, oh, sorry. How many of you have gone to work and you've just had like just just a not a good day? Like you got that job review, you know, and they they told you everything that you did wrong, but then you've got these areas of improvement, right? And and that's all you can think about. Or maybe your boss was breathing down your neck about something that you really had you you had your arms around it, but they just wouldn't quit. But you come home, and you bring it all with you. And you're frustrated, and you take it out on your spouse. You take it out on your kids. You're not doing so good at showing love for others because you're not feeling love for yourself. So we can't succeed at showing our love for others if we can't love ourselves and view ourselves through the lens in which God sees us, which is whether you're up here clicking on all cylinders or down here in failure, he loves you the same. We measure ourselves against how good we're doing, how, how many of those checkboxes, we've got the 365-day Bible reading plan magnet on our refrigerator so we can check it off every day. You know, a chapter in the Old Testament, a chapter in the New, a Psalm and a Proverb. If we do that every day, then by the time we reach December the 31st, we'll, we'll have it done. 
And we feel good as long as we can walk by that refrigerator and see all those check marks. But you let a week go by, and you've got all these check marks to make up. You're not feeling so good about yourself. Or you get into that fight with your spouse. Or you get snippy with your three-year-old who's asked you why for the gazillionth time. And you feel bad about yourself. Because that's how we measure our worth. And when those things are our measuring stick, we're never going to measure up. Ever. And the problem that we have is we don't slow down enough to rest in God's love for us. And to let him just show us that we're good enough just as we are. I love um, this scripture out of Luke 10, 27. So the background of this scripture is that one of the religious leaders had asked Jesus this question. He said, um, how do we know, how can we experience eternal life? So he's wanting a to-do list. He's wanting like the 12-step program. Jesus, tell me what I need to do so that I can enter eternity. So, so Jesus responded with a question, which he's so good at. And he said, what does the law tell you? And so the religious leader responds like this. He answered and he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. And love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus' response to him is this. Jesus says, yes. Do that, and you will live. So it's in those words, it's in that affirmation from Jesus that everything that this Christian life, that this life calls us to do is wrapped up in those words, that we're, we're to love God. And out of our love for God, we're to love others as we love ourselves. But we can't love ourselves well, and we can't love others well, without understanding God's love for us. And this, this is where both our problem and our purpose lie. Our entire purpose is to show love to people, but we find it hard to love ourselves and to see ourselves through his lens. And, and part of the reason is that we come into, we come into moments like this where we're, where we're learning and we're looking to grow and we want something to do. We want a 12-step program that we can put on our refrigerator and say, we've done these five things today, therefore, I'm good. And Jesus doesn't give us that. He says, he gives us the most difficult thing to do, love and love well. Well, there's no measuring stick for that. I can't just say I did the laundry and I cooked dinner and I did all of these things, so therefore, I've shown you love today. If you've ever read... Um, the five languages of love, we all give and receive love in different ways. So you, if you have, I have eight children, so I can't succeed every day at showing love because they all have different love languages that are different than mine. And if I spent every day trying to measure up to that, I would get, I, I, first of all, I would just never succeed. And all of us are like that. So today I really want you to leave this place not with, not with a 12-step to-do list, but just being who you are in Christ. And who you are in Christ is enough. You're enough. You're enough even if you failed yesterday. You're enough even if you're insecure today. You're enough 
Even if you woke up this morning and you had doubts, you're enough in your fear. You're enough. And God can use you right where you are. He's not going to leave you where you are. He's not going to let you stay there forever. He's going to call you higher. There might be some correction that comes. There might be some things that you have to change. But even if you have to change, he never changes. And his love for you will stay the same. Which brings us to too good to be true, truth number two. God knows that you're going to fail. He knows it. He knows how and when you're going to fail. But Jesus is forever interceding for us. Forever. Through it all, no matter what. Jesus sits, the Bible says he sits at the right hand of the Father, bearing intercession for you and me. Constantly before the Father, interceding on our behalf. I have a question for husbands and wives in the room. If I were to pull you aside after service and I were to say to you, I need to share something with you. The enemy of our souls is going to tempt your spouse to be unfaithful. And your spouse, they're going to fail. They're going to be unfaithful. How many of you, if I came to you and I told you that, your response would be, I'm going to pray for them that when they've repented and returned, that our marriage will be strengthened and we can minister to others. Who in this room would give that response? I wouldn't either. I can't say what I would be thinking publicly. But I would not be thinking nice thoughts if you told me that. And I would not be, my first thought wouldn't be forgiveness and prayer. My first thought would be, first of all, oh, let me go find that, let let me go find him right now. We need to have a talk. My first thought would be, if I, even if I was going to pray, my first thought would be to pray that it didn't happen to rebuke the devil, to put hedges of protection around, like all of those prayers, that would be my first thought. I would not think to pray that after it was over, we could be strengthened and that out of it we could minister to others. It just wouldn't occur to me. I would feel betrayed. And I would think, how can I be expected to wait and pray knowing that this is going to happen? You can't ask that of me, God. That's not okay. But that's exactly what Jesus did in his relationship with Peter. Of all the disciples, except maybe Judas, Peter did experience the highest highs and the lowest lows. And here's Peter, like, he recognized Jesus' divinity. Like, he knew. Out of all the disciples, when Jesus asked the question, who do you say I am, Peter knew who he was. That's why Jesus said, on that rock, I'll build my church. It wasn't on a man that he said that. It was on the knowledge of his divinity and that he's the Savior. And Peter had that. He recognized it. 
But then we fast forward just a little bit. And first of all, I have to say this, like this whole imagery of the Last Supper and what Jesus did just befuddles me because it's, it's so beyond me that he would wash the disciples' feet and serve them knowing that Judas was going to betray him. He washed his feet. That Peter was going to deny him. He washed his feet. That the rest of them, except for John, were going to scatter and be nowhere around while he was going through his trial. He washed their feet. I might have washed John's feet. Maybe. But there's no way that I think I could do what he did knowing what he knew. But we fast forward into the Last Supper, and Jesus says this to Peter in Luke 22, 31 and 32. He says, Simon, Simon, Satan has asked to sift each of you like wheat. But I have pleaded in prayer for you, Simon, that your faith should not fail. So when you have repented and returned to me, strengthen your brothers. Did you catch that? Satan asked to sift all of the disciples. But Jesus prayed specifically for, for Peter. Why? Because he knew Peter was going to fail in the sifting. And he didn't pray that Peter wouldn't fail. He prayed that his faith wouldn't fail. Because Jesus knew very clearly that when the enemy brought the temptation that Peter's flesh was going to fail. And he wanted his faith to remain strong. So how did Peter respond to this? Luke twenty two thirty three. he said, Lord, I'm ready to go to prison with you and even to die with you. Like, I can imagine here that Peter is like incredulous. Like, what? No, I'm going to... I'm with you till the end, Jesus. If they take you to prison, I'm going. If you die, I die, Jesus. He couldn't imagine any other outcome. And just a few verses later in the garden when they're arresting Jesus, Peter cuts off the ear of one of the soldiers. It was unimaginable to him, the furthest thought from his mind, that he would in any way, deny Jesus. I am Peter. Hear me roar. I'll be faithful to you, Jesus. I'll be loyal to you, Jesus. I will always, always love you, Jesus. But Jesus knew better. And here's what he says to Peter in verse 34. He said, Peter, let me tell you something. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. Can you imagine how Peter felt at that moment? We are Peter. We say the same things. I would never walk away from Jesus and deny my faith. I could never do that couldn't imagine we look at these scriptures and we read these scriptures and we're like i couldn't imagine being like peter 
But we have to be careful in our boasting. And we have to be humble. Because until the trial comes, until we are surrounded in enemies, until we have the stage four cancer diagnosis, until our house has burned down and we've lost everything, until we've walked through depression and anxiety, until those things are our companion, we can't say how we will respond or how we will react. Because unless you're walking with fear, anxiety, doubt, insecurity, and those things like speaking to you and you're having to live with them every day, unless that's a part of where you are right now, you don't know what you would do when you step into a day or a week or a year when those things become your companion. But for the grace of God, our boasting might end in the same way that Peter's did. Luke 22, 54 through 60, it says, So they arrested him, Jesus, and led him to the high priest's home. And Peter followed at a distance. I actually, I actually really do like that they left that in there, that Peter followed from a distance. Because here's, let me, draw, let me paint a picture of what's happening. Jesus is being led away. And he's being mocked and slandered, and he will be beaten and ultimately crucified. John, the faithful one, he's, he's there. He doesn't, he, he's at the cross, he's at the foot of the cross. He doesn't leave Jesus. The rest of the disciples, they scatter. They're not accounted for in the trial through the crucifixion. They're gone. And here's Peter He's following from a distance. He's like, I don't want to leave, but I'm very unsure right now. So, so let, me just, let, me just, let me just keep an eye on what's going on. Let me follow from a distance. The guards lit a fire in the middle of the courtyard and sat around it. And Peter joined them there. A servant girl noticed him in the firelight, and she began staring at him. I mean, you know, he's, he's looking and he's realizing he's being stared at and he's thinking, they know who I am. And when my identity is public, then I'm in trouble. Finally, she said, this man was one of Jesus' followers, but Peter denied it. Woman, he said, I don't even know him. After a while, someone else looked at him and said, you must be one of them. He said, no man, I am not. Peter retorted. About an hour later, someone else insisted, this must be one of them because he's a Galilean too. But Peter said, man, I don't know what you're talking about. And immediately, a rooster crowed. Can you imagine what Peter was feeling in that moment? Because the scene going on around him, Peter's just warming his hands by a fire trying to be incognito and blend in. Don't want to draw any attention to myself. want to just go about my business. But in the background, this man that he had followed for three years, this Messiah, the one who was supposed to be the conquering king, the savior of the world, 
is being mocked, spit on, flogged, and questioned. And what is the Savior doing while all that's going on? Nothing. This man who fed 5,000, who raised people from the dead, who healed blind eyes, this man that he walked with, believed with, saw with his own eyes do those things, he's silent. If you were Peter, what would you be thinking? Dude, call down fire. Do something. Do what I know you can do. And in the midst of the scene playing out, here's Peter having to ask himself, did I follow a lie? Like, this isn't what it's supposed to look like. This isn't how this was supposed to end. Did I leave behind everything for this? Did I miss my calling? He stood alone, surrounded in people who wanted to crucify the one he loved and who would crucify him too. He could lose everything if he took a stand, even his very life. The stakes were high, and Peter failed. We're Peter. When we pray for healing and it doesn't come the way we want it to, we are Peter. When we've believed God so much for that thing and it doesn't happen, we are Peter. We can't even post on our Facebook page what we really believe because we're afraid of how other people will respond. We're warming our hands by a proverbial fire. And our Savior, Jesus, today is on trial in the public square. Some of us are like John, and we're up close And we're staying close. Some of us have scattered a little bit. And then some of us, if we're honest, we're a little bit like Peter. We're keeping our distance, trying to blend in. Don't want to rock any boats. We're being sifted. And we have to ask ourselves how we're doing. And here's too good to be true, truth number three. God doesn't see us through the lens of our failure. He sees us through the lens of our future. And even in all of that, even in all of our failing, even in all of our doubt, even in all of our fear, even in all of our distance, God sees us through what he knows is our future. I love this. Right after the scripture says the rooster crowed, Luke 61 and 62 says this. At that moment, the Lord turned and he looked at Peter. Let that set in for you. Peter had denied. Let's take even the Lord, his lordship off the table for a second. Peter had denied knowing his friend. And Jesus heard it. And he looked Peter in the eye. 
Now, I don't know about you, but what you're imagining is in Jesus' eyes right now might be the eyes of your dad when he unbuckles that belt and <laughs> ripped it through every belt and made that noise. You might be seeing that image. You might be seeing the image of your loving grandmother who you could do no wrong in her eyes. Like she's like, it's okay, you just broke my favorite china. Let me give you cookies and milk. Whatever that image is that you're seeing in your head, whatever you think the look was that Jesus gave Peter, that's the image of God, your father, in your heart. Because here's the truth that's too good to be true. When Jesus looked at Peter, he didn't see his failure. He saw his future. What Peter saw reflected in his Savior and friend's eyes was grace, compassion, and love. And it says, suddenly the Lord's words flashed through Peter's mind. Before the rooster crows tomorrow morning, you will deny three times that you even know me. And Peter left the courtyard weeping bitterly. As parents, we kind of get this concept that, you know, our kids can do something wrong. And even though we're disappointed in them at the moment, even though we may correct them in the moment, we know that they have a great future. And nothing they can really do, nothing they can do will make us love them less or make us stop believing in them. We believe in the potential that God has put into their lives. See, Jesus didn't approve of Peter's actions. He knew he would do it before he did it. He just knew what Peter could become, and he chose to focus on that instead. And I don't know where you are about feeling God's love for you and showing it for others. I don't know if maybe you've lost the truth of your belovedness. In God's eyes, I don't know if you failed in your commitment. I don't know if you feel like the cost of loving Jesus is too high. But here's what I would say to you. You have a heavenly father who loves you infinitely. So much so that he innocently laid down his life for you and spilled his blood for you. No matter what you do. And he sees you through eyes of your future and not through your failures. And right now, right now, he's interceding for you that you would refuse to lose faith when all hope seems lost. Only Jesus can do that. I can't imagine being innocent, standing there being accused, a crowd chanting, crucify her, crucify her, and choosing a known murderer over me. I can't imagine being in that situation and looking out and only seeing one friend because the other one just denied me and I don't see another face that loves me in the crowd. I can't imagine being there and choosing forgiveness. But Jesus did, and he leads us in that. See, the beauty that Jesus saw in Peter was far from present. It wasn't in that moment that, that, that there was a lot of beauty to be seen in Peter. If you looked at Peter, you would see fear and doubt and grief. But Jesus didn't look at Peter's current behaviors. It wasn't 
Showing Peter love in the look that he gave him wasn't dependent on Peter's behavior. Is there somebody in your life whose current behavior isn't changing and who, when they look at you, needs to see their love and infinite value reflected, but instead they're seeing judgment and bitterness and hurt and anger in your eyes? I don't know. You might be there. I've been there at times. And the beauty that Jesus saw in Peter was far from perfect. Peter was a work in progress. Jesus looked at him and he knew that he would fail. But as the potter, he knew that the clay was still good. Jesus is working on all of us. It's not up to me to perfect myself. It's up to me to seek every day to be more like Jesus. But the only time of day that I'm actually even close to perfect is when I open my eyes. The minute I let a thought come into my head, I mean, it depends on the day. So any, any moment that I have in my life where I'm my most righteous, where I'm my most holy, the Bible's very clear. If I were to present that before God, it's his filthy rags. It's his filthy rags, but for the covering of the innocent, spotless lamb of God and his blood. That's the only way that I can present myself to the Lord is through Jesus. He hasn't called us to perfect ourselves or others. He's called us simply to love and to be the one set of eyes that people around us can look at and look into and see their infinite value and worth. And the only way we can do that is if we look into our Savior's eyes and see ours. Which brings me to my final point. Too good to be true, truth number four. Our only job is to love. That's it. That's all God asks of us is to love. I'll close with this. Jesus, he didn't leave Peter in his failure. Peter's story didn't end with, and he went away weeping bitterly, period. Because we know that after Jesus rose again, he spent special time with Peter. And he spent one special moment with Peter that he offered him forgiveness and redemption from his sin, very specifically. The disciples are out on a boat. Jesus appears. They don't know who he is. He does another miracle with fish. They recognize who he is. And the first one out of the boat, naked, is Peter. He jumps into the water and he swims so fast he can't get to his Lord fast enough. And in that moment, you can find the account in John chapter 21. Jesus asks Peter a question. One question he asks him three times. Simon, Peter, do you love me? Three times, the same amount of times that Peter denied him, Jesus offers him grace. Peter denied him, Jesus offered love. Peter denied him, Jesus offered love. Peter denied him, Jesus offered love. But he didn't leave them there because he, he also said, Peter, I've forgiven you. You failed. I've forgiven you. Now I have your future for you to do. And he says, Peter, feed my lambs. Peter, I need you to teach those babes in Christ the truth of the word so that they can grow up. Peter, tend my sheep. Don't just pet them and take care of them. I need you to protect them from the enemy. I need you to lead them along paths of righteousness. I need you to tend my sheep. Peter, 
Feed my sheep. I need you to take those who are mature in Christ. I need you to give them the meat of the word and not just the milk, Peter. Peter, I need you to love me. Peter, I need you to love you. And Peter, I need you to love others. Peter experienced a grace that was too good to be true. And you and I one day will stand before our Father. And all of our life will be summed up in a very similar question. How did you love me? And on that day, we will experience a grace that is too good to be true. But it is true. Because God loves you. He sees you through eyes of your future and not your failure. And he's calling us all to stand firm when the stakes are high and to love him and love others. Let's pray. Father, we just love you. God, we count it such an honor that you allow us, Lord, to walk alongside you, to feel your love, God, and to be able to show love to others. Lord, as we examine our hearts today, God, let us lay aside every, the, your word says to lay aside every hindrance um, that, would, that, would, that would hinder us from completing our race. So God, let us lay aside those fears. Let us lay aside those failures. Lord, let us lay aside those things that would hold us back from knowing your love for us and loving others. Thank you, Lord, for allowing us to be your children and sending your son Jesus to die on the cross on our behalf. In Jesus' name, amen.